Attention please. Would Logan Air passengers please proceed to the aircraft? Fly with me. Oh, won't you fly with me? We'll fly off to the island. Then watch the setting sun. Hello, I'm John Ellis, and welcome to Logan Air's Flight Log Podcast, where I get to go behind the scenes of the UK's largest regional airline to find answers for your questions and discover exactly what it takes to keep Logan Air in the air and put all of that on air. In this episode, we begin by looking at the single biggest challenge we face today as a planet, environmental impact. Logan has embarked on the hugely important journey to ensure a sustainable future. And today, I'm delighted to welcome CEO Jonathan Hinkles to talk a bit about what they're doing right now and also what their plans are for the future. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, John. Why don't you um, set the scene for us on that and explain the nature of the, the journey that you're taking? Across the whole of society, it doesn't matter what industry you work in, it doesn't matter what hobbies you have, we've all got a job to do to make sure that we look after the planet and do everything we can to decarbonise. Airlines, of course, are a pretty high-profile part of that. And at Logan Air, we take that responsibility really seriously indeed. We're the UK's largest regional airline, so it's absolutely right that we set off and lead the way. Uh, Only a year ago, we set out our commitment to becoming uh, net zero by 2040. That's getting rid of all emissions at source. So that's 10 years ahead of the UK government's target to do it. That's 10 years ahead of the aviation industry's target to achieve that as well. So that's really um, setting our stall out very, very clearly indeed to say this mm. is what we're going to do at Logan Air. Uh, it's taking a lot of work to get us there, but I'm absolutely confident that we will. You're right. It is very ambitious. Let's dig into all of that. I mean, last year, Logan Air launched its Green Skies environmental program. How does that work? What does it do? Well, it, it does three things. And the biggest single thing is looking at the future technologies which will enable us to fly in a net zero way, whether that be hydrogen, whether that be through electrical schemes. We'll look a bit more about that, no doubt, in a few moments' time. But what it's doing in the meantime is investing in uh, internationally accredited carbon offset schemes. So the carbon emissions from each and every Logan Air flight are fully offset by taking carbon out of the atmosphere somewhere else. And the third thing that that's doing is investing and helping businesses and not-for-profit organisations like charities and schools to be able to make their own carbon targets. And so providing grants and funding to them to be able to do that. So there isn't one single answer to how we tackle this huge challenge, but we're setting off to do absolutely everything (laughs) that we can right here and right now. It is ambitious. How, How do you invest in these schemes? The main part of the Green Skies program here and now is the carbon offsets on every flight. And rather than putting this out there, as some airlines do and say our customers might want to do this, we believe it's right for us to take some leadership in that and to actually say, look, every customer on a Logan Air flight is going to join us on this journey. So we felt it was right to be transparent. We thought it was right to recognise that every single journey uh, has an impact. And that isn't just for aviation, of course. It's any journey, whether it's by car, whether it's by rail, Mm. they've all got an impact. But for our flights, every single ticket that we sell on a Logan Air flight has got a small surcharge on it, which covers the carbon cost of that journey. And that is then invested into the offsetting schemes around the world and also into the development of those future flight technologies. Okay, I, I I know having flown Logan Air this year, you actually see the Green Skies charge on your receipt, don't you? You do, and we were the first airline to start doing that. Uh, I'm told anywhere in the world, others have right. since followed, 
But a lot of airlines are still doing carbon offsetting and saying to customers, oh, by the way, once you've bought your ticket, you might want to do that. That isn't providing the leadership that this industry needs to make the progress that we need to make to get to net zero. Um, In Logan Air's case by 2040, in the rest of the industry's case, 10 years after that. There's been some controversy around carbon offsetting. Does that concern you at all? I think we view carbon offsetting very much as an interim step. It's something that we're doing until the technologies are available for us to be able to fly net zero. Now, it's not perfect, and there is some criticism of it. But what I would say is that when COP26 was happening in Glasgow last year, all of the major schemes in which billions were being invested were carbon offset schemes. Mm. And so what that is doing is it's investing in things like reforestation projects in South America, wind and hydroelectrical power schemes, generating carbon-free energy elsewhere in the world and avoiding the need to have burn carbon to do that. So for every single kilogram of carbon generated by a Logan Air flight, a kilogram of carbon is taken out of the atmosphere somewhere else. I did say this was a, a planetary problem. Uh, and those that you mentioned, there, they're certainly worthy of investment. You also mentioned something in the UK, though. You're active in that front as well, aren't you? We are. So the carbon offset programmes, for those to be certificated to the international gold standard, they're actually not legally allowed to be in the UK or the EU. Don't ask me why those rules exist. I don't actually know. But that is the rules uh, according to those gold standard offsets. They have to be outside the UK and the EU. But I think it is really important that we show leadership in the regions we serve and the communities to which we're committed. So part of our Green Skies programme is what we call the Community Fund. And that's helping not-for-profit organisations, small businesses to meet uh, their own carbon targets. So, for example, children's hospices across Scotland, the charity that Logan has delighted to support, we've given them a grant towards putting in electric car charging points through their uh, respite homes. We've helped a college in the Western Isles, which uh, serves uh, adults with learning difficulties to reduce its carbon footprint by installing solar panels. And we've helped on the Orkney Island of Edie, which is a population of about 130. We've helped the community shop by replacing its old fridges that it had Mm -hmm. that were using lots and lots of electricity with much better low carbon alternatives to support the community there. So all of this is really close to home and it's really great to be involved in. But that's part of the Green Skies programme. And it's part of Logan Air's commitment to the uh, communities that we serve. Yeah, all of it's admirable. And something I think that anyone would notice, if they, if they look at Logan Air for more than five minutes, is that the story of Logan Air and the communities that it serves are completely intertwined. I mean, you're in with the bricks, as they say, and as you've got bigger, you seem to have learned how to do that by really getting to know those people and giving them what they want and need for their communities, like any successful thriving business, whether it's an airline or anything else. And that relationship is fantastic, Jonathan. But in terms of the environment, obviously you're trying to get to a stage where the planes you put in the air are cleaner and constantly striving to reach that overall target that you've mentioned a couple of times. So what about future flight technologies? Where are we with that? What are you doing to invest in those? Next year, I'll have been in the industry for 30 years and I've never seen technological progress at the rate that we have going on right now across pretty much every corner of our industry. When it comes to future flight technologies, there are probably two main routes that we see things going down, which is potential to use hydrogen-powered aircraft with hydrogen fuel cells, replacing the conventional uh, Jet A1 uh, aviation fuel that we burn on our aeroplanes, and also with electrical power. So I think where we're headed is that I think hydrogen power will be available first 
I'm expecting to see the first hydrogen-powered aircraft flying in the UK very shortly on a test basis, and those available commercially to start refitting existing aircraft with hydrogen fuel cells and the changes needed to the aircraft's engines and systems um, long before the end of the current decade. Um, So that progress really is moving on a pace. I think electrical power may take a little bit longer. While people would look at it and say, for example, Logan Air's flights within the Orkney Islands, which we've been operating since 1967, this would be a marvellous place to start electrical flights because the flights are so short. Hmm. Well, yes, the flight between the islands of Westray and Papa Westray is only two minutes long. It's the world's shortest scheduled flight. But on every single one of those flights, for safety reasons, we have to carry enough reserve fuel today to be able to divert either to Wick or Aberdeen in case we can't land back in Kirkwall. And so we yeah. also have to have the battery power to do that. So it moves it into a very, very different league when all of the uh, aviation safety requirements led on top of it. And of course, that's something on which we can and will never compromise. Let me just take you back there. It was interesting to me when you were talking about hydrogen as a possibility that, I mean, I always assume when you're talking about future technologies, you have to build a completely new aircraft. And I'm sure that those will come. But the way that you were talking about it there, it sounds like you can actually refit existing aircraft with hydrogen capacity. Was I right in that? You're absolutely right. And that's where the program is starting from here. So, for example, the ATR aircraft that Logan Air is bringing into its fleet, which are already amongst the greenest aircraft, if any, uh, worldwide, are the test beds for some of these hydrogen technologies. So I think it's actually much easier to do that. You've got an airframe and systems which are proven. Everybody knows that they're operable, that they work in the environments in which we operate. Um, And you take that existing aircraft and you refit it to burn hydrogen rather than inventing a completely new platform Mm. and a completely new propulsion system to go with it. It means that we can make progress much more quickly. It means also that the level of expenditure that we need to achieve this, which, of course, at the end of the day reflects through in customers' ticket prices, can be reduced because we're refitting existing aircraft that have got lots and lots of life left in them yet, rather than going out and buying completely new aeroplanes and completely new fuel cells as well. Whenever anybody talks about this, they say it's a journey and not a race at any cost because you want to get there quickly, sure, but not at the expense of making mistakes in your learnings and ultimately, you know, taking longer as a result. That being said, all of this sounds really exciting. Practical use cases, are they on the go yet? We expect to see that with the refits of the ATR aircraft and also the Islander aircraft that we operate on those routes within the Orkney Islands, that we will be able to get those to net zero probably far faster than many other sectors of the industry. It's one of the benefits of Logan Air's operation that, albeit we fly very intensively, over 200 flights a day on uh, many weekdays, we do that in a relatively small geographical area. So it's easier, I won't say it's simple, but it's Hmm. easier for us to be able to put the infrastructure in place that we need, whether that's to support electrical aircraft or hydrogen propulsion. And it's great to see a lot of work being done, particularly in the sustainable aviation test environment up in Kirkwall in the Orkney Islands, to be able to test all of that uh, and looking at the ground infrastructure. And our carbon projects don't just stop there as well. Around every airport, you'll find diesel ground power units, diesel vehicles for loading bags into aeroplanes. We're moving all of those to electrical power as well. And we're taking delivery of the first of a number of new loading belts for our aircraft, which are all electrically powered uh, on green energy in the airports as well. And those will be in service very shortly. 
I think when you spoke about it, you said that you hope to have these aircraft in the sky before the end of this decade. Whilst I said it's not a race, every second counts in, in this sort of environment. With zero emission aircraft, obviously, some time away, should we just stop flying for now? Well, I think the answer to that has to be a categorical no. Of course, you probably expect me to say that, but yeah. genuinely, do I believe that that's the right way? No, I don't. And I think it's actually really important if people are looking at travelling, that they make an informed decision around the choices that they make. For example, if you were to drive from Edinburgh to Aberdeen, take the ferry from Aberdeen up to the Orkney Islands, versus getting on a Logan Air flight directly from Edinburgh to Kirkwall, your carbon emissions will be around eight to nine times higher by car and ferry than they would be if you flew. Similarly, if you're looking at journeys by rail, well, when rail works well and when rail's electrified, it is very good from an environmental point of view. It's one of the least damaging forms of travel. But in the UK, only 38% of the rail track miles are actually electrified. The rest of it runs on diesel. And most of those are regional routes with relatively low occupancy. So I think looking at any journey, uh, customers need to be clear about what it is that they're doing, that, you know, the big figures that get bandied around, aviation's bad, rail's good, aren't necessarily the case and very often aren't the case. So I think there's a really important point there for everybody to look at the choices that they're making from a travel perspective. And it's something that we've been working with the UK government on as well, because right now, the figures that they publish for aviation include a huge amount, around half of the emissions that they calculate are for the non-carbon impacts of flying. Mm -hmm. That's predominantly from contrails, those lovely things that you see on bright, sunny days in the sky, <laughs> actually causing global warming. Now, our aircraft don't fly high enough to generate contrails. They're regional aircraft, which operate at much lower altitudes and don't do that. So I think it is important that we look at all these types of things. But at the same time, we're doing a huge amount of work in Logan Air, and I think we're one of very few airlines that is to do some work around the non-carbon impacts of flying, which, of course, even if we've moved to hydrogen or electrical power in the fullness of time, will still be there. So we've got to tackle those two, and we're very, very serious about that. It would be simpler, uh, and uh, you're almost calling for it, if um, there was something that was far easier to compare, you know, like where, where you could have the modes of transport and how they compared against each other rather than, than what you're talking about. The science of it isn't always straightforward or fairly measured. The planes right now that you have in the sky, just again, recap for me where you are with those with regard to where you're trying to get to. Over the last year, Logan Air's retired a number of its older Saab 340 aircraft that have been in service for 20-something years, serving our lifeline Highland and Islands routes. We've also retired our smaller regional jet aircraft, leaving only the more efficient, larger version of that aircraft in service. We're replacing all of those with new ATR turboprops. We're investing millions of pounds in doing that. And those future-proof those services, but they also bring some very big environmental benefits with them. The new ATR turboprops that were flying on routes like Aberdeen up to Shetland, bringing carbon reductions around 27% per seat versus the Saab 340 aircraft that they're replacing. And so on top of what we're doing with our aircraft, our fleet also comprises the vehicles that I was mentioning earlier. We're making really rapid progress with that as well to introduce electrical ground power units and electric vehicles right the way across the Logan Air network. I always think you can achieve more in general terms if you make the instructions simple. Uh, your customers are already doing something every time they buy a ticket through your Green Skies initiative, but that's, you know, that happens anyway. 
What else could they do to help make a difference? Well, I think it goes back to first and foremost, being informed about the choices that they're making as to how to travel. You do look at people saying, oh, well, I've you know decided to go see the Scottish islands, but instead of flying, I'm going to go on a cruise ship instead. And you look at it and think, oh, my goodness, you couldn't possibly actually do anything worse from mm. an environmental perspective than that. So be informed about the choices that you're making for each and every journey, each and every trip that you want to make. Understand what your impact on the environment will be with the different choices that you've got to do that. I think also there have been some good improvements, such as across at uh, Edinburgh and Newcastle and Southampton airports to which we fly with integrating uh, ground transport, public transport, whether it be trams, whether it be trains uh, to and from the airport, using those as well to help reduce the impact of your overall journey before you get to the airport where Logan Air's Green Skies programme takes over really can make a difference too. I know there's a suggestion as well to sort of fly lighter w- with less luggage. That's not going to go down well with my wife, Jonathan. I, <laughs> overall, <laughs> given everything that you've spoken about, do you believe that we're on the way to 2040 net zero? I don't just believe it. I'm absolutely passionately committed to achieving it. We will achieve it. And we have to. We've got to make sure that Logan Air, as the UK's largest regional airline, is leading the way on this regional air connectivity is so important for the journeys that it supports but that can't be at the cost of the environment and the planet on which we live so to future proof everything that we're doing whether that be as a business whether that be in terms of the lifeline air services that we provide for future generations we've got to get there and we absolutely will Jonathan, thanks for joining us. I'm John Ellis. That was episode one of Logan Air's Flight Log, where we take the big issues of being in the air and put them on air. On our next flight log, well, you'll have heard us mention in our chat today that Logan Air is the UK's largest regional airline. Yes, they're enormously proud of where they come from, but they're also hugely passionate and ambitious about where they're going. And that's what we're going to focus on when we discuss the importance of UK regional air services and Logan Air's role within that framework and beyond. Our guest for that is Chief Commercial Officer Luke Lovegrove, who takes the chair next time for episode two of Logan Air's Flight Log. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. So we're all-